So, Ben, what's your password? <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. Sounds mm-hmm. like the combination of Paul would have on his luggage. <laughs> <laughs> that's a. I, I know Carol doesn't get all of the movie references. But oh, those a, were there were movie references in there. <laughs> yeah, I didn't that's get any a, of that. A reference to Spaceballs. You're listening to Working Code with your hosts, one of whom probably just wrote a new JavaScript library, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. It is show number 26 for June the 9th, and on today's show, we're going to be talking about passwords, and it's probably one of those topics where it seems like we couldn't possibly have enough content to fill a whole podcast, and yet, here we are. Swordfish. It's always swordfish. Hunter 2. <laughs> first, as usual, we're going to do our triumphs and fails. And Ben, it's your turn to go first. What do you got this week? I'm going to turn it around. I've had a couple of failures in a row, so I'm going to flip over to triumph for this week. Me and my team have been working hard trying to find a uh, an issue in our system where people are occasionally getting logged out from a plugin that we have in the Sketch graphics program. And uh, probably it took about two weeks to figure out what was happening we we were sharing uh, some web tokens between the web session and the plugin session which the plugin session was supposed to have its own tokens so what was happening is every time someone got logged out of their web session it would invalidate those tokens which would inadvertently log them out of their plugin within craft and uh it just it felt really good to be able to figure out what was going on and uh, even though it took a while and even though I hate to say this, I'm the one who wrote the original problematic code, which, uh, you know, nobody wants that scenario, but uh, I, I do feel good having solved it. That said, we're now trying to figure out why some of these users are getting 502s, uh, bad gateways. And uh, that's becoming a much more challenging problem because we have a distributed system. So we have our uh, external layer of application code. I think it runs on Amazon's application load balancer and then we have kubernetes ingress controllers and then those uh forward requests to cold fusion pods but then the cold fusion pods have an nginx uh service running in front of the the cold fusion ports so it's just trying to figure out where the request is dying and which which network hop can't talk to the network next network which network (laughs) hop can't talk to the next network point is just a it's very challenging because it's hard to know if something's dying inside of an application code or if it's not getting to the application in the first place. And I don't really know anything about Kubernetes and it's hard to go to our platform people and have them help us because sometimes they'll just say like, oh, 502s happen sometimes. Distributed systems are challenging, but that's not the, that's <laughs> not, not the, good. yeah, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a satisfying answer. I, I saw you posting about how you could put something in the ELB load balancer, so yeah. they can track that. It was that had it was that similar to what you were. That's I mean, that so. Related? That's we're trying to figure out where these five hundred two bad gateways are coming from. So essentially, we have a, a request that originates on a user's computer, and that request ends in a in a in a bad gateway. But we don't know where in the network stack the failure is happening. So mm. we've been trying to add tracing headers all over the place, trying to see where those tracing headers headers stop showing up in the logs but it's it's been challenging because we don't have control over where all the logging happens so mm. but so mostly triumph with some failure and what feature was it that that you added to the elb 
for Amazon to, to trust in the header? Yeah. So if you initiate a request with a header that's like X Amazon, X dash Amazon dash trace dash ID, it will include that value in its own logs when it's logging the, uh, I guess, the access logs for the ALB. Okay. I thought you have to enable that in AWS, though. Like you have to have it as part of your account in order for that to work. It's possible because logging is, I guess, expensive. It is, yeah. Yeah, you may not be able to just put it in. in You may not be able to just put it in the header and turn it on. You may actually have to have like your DevOps or your team actually enable it for your account before it works. And and this is, I mean, this is so much of what the debugging looks like right now is we just look in the logs to see what shows up. And we notice that there is a trace ID header showing up. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. What does that mean? And that's when we found the logs and said you could modify that as part of your original request. So a lot of it is just searching, hunting and pecking almost for uh, what might be meaningful information in the logs. It's very frustrating. Interesting. How about you, Adam? What do you got? Um, well, unfortunately, I'm going to break the streak. This week I got to fail. <laughs> um, He's only I, human. Yeah. Yeah, it had to happen eventually. I have been on this kick lately, um, very much thanks to um, some inspiration from Adam Cameron and from uh, Clean Code. But I've been trying to do a lot more testing. And so this week, I thought it would be fun to... Uh, I was starting the some work on a project to uh, refactor out a, a computationally expensive process from one service into its own service so that when the when this one drowns in work, it doesn't take down the other ones or the other pieces running in its existing home. And um, so I was like, okay, well, it's a, this is going to be a small thing. It's JavaScript, so I know that the testing tooling I'm using Jest is uh, pretty good. So I'm going to take this opportunity to try and TDD this thing and you know write the test first and, and try to do that whole thing. Well, I made it maybe 20 minutes before I was like <laughs> legit stuck. <laughs> So when I say that I spent like 20 minutes on this before I got stuck, really, that means that like I made some forward progress for 20 minutes and then I got stuck and I spent the next like four and a half hours spinning my wheels, making literally zero (laughs) progress, just trying to figure out why I was stuck and how I can get past it. Yes. I did use it as an opportunity to produce some content for my blog. (laughs) (laughs) Not a total loss. So I wrote up, you know, that story. Well, so we touched briefly recently on the concept of learning in public. And, uh, you know, that also sort of struck a nerve with me. So I'm, I'm just trying to um, continue to be productive and grow and, and expand. Um, Heck yeah. Uh, you know, just get become a better developer in every way that I possibly can. And so, you know, I, I basically what I'm hoping it is, is I, tur- I started a series of blog posts that are going to be like, here's the problem that I had. And, you know, this is what I was thinking. And over time, it'll show, um, you know, why I, why I was wrong and, you know, in what ways I was wrong and how to do it the right way. Um, but like I said, it's a fail. I spent like half a day on the stupidest possible problem. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm past it now. Um, but yeah, it was it was just awful. I felt like a total failure, right? I've I've been programming professionally for like twenty years, and uh, I know testing concepts pretty well. But then, like twenty minutes into this TDD effort, I just like totally bombed. I felt like a failure <laughs> all day that day. So that's my failure. So Tim, how about you, man? What do you got going on? I, I well, I got a question. What is 
in between a triumph and a failure. You. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Fair enough. Because I, I, I can't, I mean, nothing, I think, rose to the level of a triumph this week and nothing fell to the floor as a failure. It was very much steady state this week. Um, lots of waiting for stuff. Uh. Um, I, I get the feeling that a lot of people in our company have gotten vaccinated and now they're going doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of engaged in personal stuff. And it's like, I, I spent a lot of time waiting. I'm waiting on legal. I'm waiting on, you know, corporate. I, I just, and, and I'm in sort of in between projects right now. And I've got other people working on projects that I'm not involved in. I'm just sort of like overseeing. So it's like, yeah, I, nothing really shook my world this week. So all right. I don't know if that's a triumph or fair. So we uh we had the meeting today and we actually talked about our bandwidth for the next few months. And it's pretty much like, and you have to take into account that everybody who hasn't been able to travel or do anything is now taking PTO. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be like way understaffed from where we were. So don't expect much work to come out because you siloed off these people for these big projects. And now our actual team supporting this is a lot less. Plus people now are actually taking summer PTO because they're vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, several people were like, yeah, we're taking long, like longer than normal vacations. And we are not going to be working. We're going to enjoy our time off finally yeah i, I think we're kind of falling into that because it's yeah. um I, we did we just did finish up a huge uh, pci audit and i always cordon off a lot of my time yeah. for the audit but and those kind of just suck the life out of your whole team they are yeah. exhausting <laughs> yeah. they are exhausting if you've yeah. never been through a pci audit and tried to be compliant it's it's tedious yeah. and nerve-wracking I mean, and everything went fine. There, yeah. there was no, there was no issues. It's just, it's a lot of anticipation mm-hmm. and documentation and and having meetings for things that really. Every year, you say the same thing. You just, you just hope someone doesn't ask you a new question. You're right. like, gotcha. <laughs> You've <laughs> yeah. been lying all these years. Because you feel like that's what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. That that's it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys. It's neither here nor there. Carol, how about you? So I am pretty much where Adam is and, you know, we don't plan any of this, right? We just kind of jot down our notes and he was still typing when I typed mine up. But <laughs> this week I have found myself spending way too much time stuck on things because I refuse to walk away from it. Mm-hmm. So small things that could be resolved if I had a clear head are now taking hours because I keep finding another post about how to fix this and you could do it this way and then I go try it. Well, I don't like that way. So I go find another way and then I want to try it half and half I want to like Mm -hmm. put it all together and see what piece of it I'm missing so where I could have spent you know an hour working on a problem I spend half a day working on it because I refuse to let myself go think about anything else so I've got to get back to where I walk away I pick up some tiny little you know bug out of the backlog go work it and then come back to the problem as opposed to just trying to like tread my way through this and brute force my way in that door and make it work. So yeah, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to not be so hard headed and keep reading. I'm going to do better. (laughs) I think it's really nice to be able to step away and work on small things. I find that to be hugely helpful with clearing my head. Oh, it is. It is because then, you know, I kind of in the back of my head, I'm still thinking about what's going on, but it's not my total focus where the other way I'm just stuck. 
and I'm not getting anywhere and I'm still stuck. <laughs> mm. I'm not getting any better. So yeah, it's been a little bit of a failure this past week with that. Okay. Well, I said it earlier, you guys, this is episode number 26. Do you know what that means? Um, if you reverse it, it's 62. <laughs> It's a significant number. Uh, that means important. it's been a half a year. We've been doing this for six months. Holy what? guacamole. No. I know, right? That can't be right. Yeah. Did you do your math right? We've talked about this. You can't do date <laughs> math very well. Uh, I, I just went off of 52 weeks divided by two is 26. That one's that a little easier right. for me. We've been pretty consistent, I believe. We have been uh, extremely consistent. Am I the only one who's missed episodes? Yeah. Yes, I think my, so. No, Although, no, 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 Adam, we cut Adam out of one. Yeah, we did uh, reschedule one for my benefit. Ah, cool. So today we wanted to talk about passwords, and this was my idea for our show topic. So I guess I'll kind of lay out sort of some high points of the things that I hope we talk about, and we'll see where it goes. I guess the reason that I brought it up is because I see so often a couple of things. I see websites doing it wrong and like very clear, obvious red flags that they're storing passwords incorrectly yes. and then it's less common but i still also see uh developers asking questions that indicate that they are doing a poor job of storing passwords well so i want to talk about the pay the, so i wanted to talk about the basics of storing passwords safely um, and specifically why you should be using bcrypt instead of something like md5 or other earlier hashes hashing algorithms um, and then when you should reach for a third-party service, and exactly what are those uh, red flags that I was talking about that scream, this website is going to store my password insecurely. And I like to talk about going passwordless. Mm. Yeah, let's do it. Well, uh, can we just touch on the idea of things leaking? Because I think yeah. that's uh, that might be a framing that people don't initially think about. Because when you think about why I should even hash a password, people might look at their own infrastructure and be like, well, I store every other piece of data and clear text in my database. And a lot of that is important information, like what makes passwords so special? And I think the idea here is that you have to operate under the assumption that your password will be stolen or that the persistence for your password will be stolen or one day. So the reason for the hashing of passwords is to prevent someone who has already maliciously gained access to that data from being able to to interpret or to be able to understand what the original password was. Yes, and the benefit that they gain by being able to see what your password is is that you know generally if we have your password stored in the database we're going to have probably an email address that's some identifier become, that's become pretty much universal for yeah. user ID. So if I have your email address and the password that you used on my website, there is a reasonable chance because people are lazy that that email address and password will work on some other websites, whether yeah. it's Facebook or yeah. your Gmail or Absolutely. your corporate oh, yeah. VPN. And that is a certainly a best practice that I would advocate is use different passwords for everything. And yes, that makes it hard. And so that is why you should use a password manager to do that mm-hmm. for you. And I think. I want to head off at the pass as well. People who might be thinking at that moment, well, I'm just making this dinky little web game. Yes, you know, you have to have an account and sign into it, but who cares? Like, you know, if my data leaks, they're not going to get anything sensitive. Well, the thing that they're getting is an email address and password combination. Right. right. And that could be useful elsewhere. Even if you've done everything else other than storing that password poorly, correct, and there's nothing of use in your data, that combination is useful. Yeah, so someone someone hacks your site and they're going to take that 
data. It might not mean much to you, but they're going to put it in a database and you know give it to script kitties, and they're just going to brute force yep. run on every mm-hmm. system yep. that that they can get a hold of your your username and your password. And if you were one of those people that use your same username and password for for everything, you're going to get hacked in a, in oh. a system that you do care about. Right. And you, I mean, I don't want to reference it as like, you are going to be the one, but your users are going to be the Mm -hmm. one. So it's not, you're going to get hacked. It's going to be Mm -hmm. everyone who trusted you with their information. is going to be the ones who get Mm -hmm. hacked. Well, I mean, if they got it out of you, they, you got hacked. Yeah. Well, you did, but yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a leak. Yeah. Yeah. It was hacked. So, um, and I know that we're kind of making this sound very nefarious and, and it almost sounds like something you can go, yeah, but does that really happen? And I'm telling, I'm here to tell you that <laughs> absolutely happens. There's a website, haveibeenpwned.com. That's mm-hmm. P-W-N-E-D.com. I get, I mean, it's, it's run by a very well-known at this point security researcher. And this is pretty much his job now is running this website. I get emails from this website a couple of times a year saying such and such website uh, was breached and the information that they had, your email address was in the, in the breach was found in a uh, a data set available for sale on the dark web somewhere. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Your email address and whether it was hashed or, or not or whatever was in this uh, set this of data, data that's for sale. Mm-hmm. I don't know if uh, 1Password, which is a password manager, I don't know if it pulls from the same data set, mm-hmm. but I have old logins stored in 1Password. When I, when I view them, I get a big banner across yep. the top yep. that says this login's been identified in a breach. Yep, it they does. use um they use Hightower, I think. I think isn't that what they use? I'd have to. Doesn't go look Hightower again. pull from here? I it might. Know. I don't remember. I, I just know. Did. Yeah, I thought that it used Hightower when I had looked before. But I love that because I'll get notification even if I use the same password twice. One password's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you've used this on another like login that you have saved. So are you really sure you want to use this again? Because now you've duplicated it. I think yeah, the, the feature in 1Password password is called Watchtower. Maybe that's what you're thinking of. Yeah, maybe Watchtower. I think Hightower might be like a Git client or something. Anyway, oh, okay. We were kind of off, drive, off sorry, sorry. track here. We're kind of off track. Even I, when I tried to correct it, I couldn't get it right. We're kind of off track here. So let's get back to what's up. Sorry, Tim keeps trying to talk and I think he's muted. Oh. Yeah, I'll just say that Chrome does the same thing, right? So if you save a password mm. to Chrome, it'll tell you, you know, your secure, your pass, this password you used is has been leaked on the web yep i, know I think they all probably come back to this yeah. have I been probably pwned? yeah and i'm looking at sort of i'm a. looking at have i been pwned right now i've got uh what about 19 data breaches that affected me i need to clean that up yep. <laughs> well that's one of the things i love about one password it tells me which ones are bad and i just right. go and i change those passwords on those websites and it's yep. easy cool so basics of password security anybody have something you want to throw out there or should i just go for it Always use password. <laughs> the actual word, password. Yeah, just password. Yeah. Okay, so storing passwords, right? If you if you are not going passwordless, if you're not using single sign-on, then um, how do you store passwords well? So the, the basics are you need to be able, you need to use, be using a one-way encryption or hashing algorithm to store that. Mm-hmm. You need to salt the password before you hash it. And uh, what else? Is it really that simple? This sounds like something you should put like in a frying pan and eat, like your hash and your salt. Your and let's get it all together. Yeah, I mean, we'll go through the the details of these things, but right. I, I'm, I feel like there was more that I wanted to mention. Okay, so what's the worst thing you can do? You can store the password in plain, plain text. text in the database right there. Where you so see it. 
when your yep. password is password, we just see the word password in that database column. Yep. That's terrible. Uh, a step up from that, but still also terrible, would be to run that password. Actually, let's let's kind of take some middle steps here. If right. you were to like base64 encode that password and throw it in that database column, that's also terrible yeah. in part because <laughs> so that's easy. not encryption at all. That's just <laughs> yeah. in- changing the encoding, encoding. So easily decoded back mm-hmm. and, and super fast. Um, so if that data were to leak, then it's trivial for somebody to convert that back to the plain text. Very quickly. MD5 is not decodable. So you can't like put in the hash that that you get from an MD5 uh, hashed password and get the clear text password back. But um, MD5 runs fast enough these on modern hardware that most uh, frequently used passwords, most of the passwords that are common for people to use are well known what their MD5 hashes are. Ah, uh, so they're not unique. Yeah, so you'd be able right. to figure out what so, it was. So yeah. while while I can't say you know hash ABC one two three equals password God, I can say oh I recognize that hash and it is God. That for mm-hmm. example, right. mm-hmm. um, and th- that's what's called rainbow tables. If you ever hear mm-hmm. um, oh. that term. It's basically somebody has that sort of master list of known MD5 um, hashes. And so this kind of brings me on to the next thing, which is um, iterating your hashes. So proposed or recommended at times is to hash it and then hash it again and hash it again, however many times you want to do. Um, you, you take the output of the first hash and put it in as the input to the second hash and so on down the line. Um, and that way, so for example, if, if that first um, hash of your password god is a known hash in theory you're making it harder to get to it by right. going the second time well rainbow tables there's like multiple layers right so you can yeah. go 11 layers deep or whatever however many are readily available okay so that's that so we talked about hashing so the next thing you would do is salt your passwords before you hash them so salting is just adding some random content to the beginning or the end of the string before you hash it so that you are so basically it'd be like God dash Carol, then let's go hash that. Does it make it harder? Well, so this is, is not something that the, the user should do. This no, no, is something no, that the website the should do, right? Yeah. yeah, I was just clarifying. Yeah. Um, so me as the developer, I should generate some random characters to throw at the beginning or end of the clear text password before I hash it um, so that that also helps change what the, right? So if your password was God mm-hmm. and I salted it, then the hash is now going to be different. And it's going to be vastly different because that's the way MD5 works is small changes on the input produce large changes on the output. So if your salt's generated, do you store your salt? Good question. So um, the sort of the first level of salting is just have a single hard-coded salt in your application, right? So right. it's always, yep. you know, my app. Carol, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I haven't so, done it before. Stop laughing, Ben. <laughs> the, the next level up from that would be to generate a unique salt for each uh, user and store that like on their database record as well. So that, okay. okay, um, That way, for example, if your database were to leak uh, and so not only do they have your hashed passwords, (laughs) if, if you have a, if you have the same salt for every user, then they can compute those known hashes pretty easily as well. But by having a different salt for every user, they would basically have to recompute the entire rainbow table set for and each this, user. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. To try and figure out if they have matching data. Yep. And then, so there's, yeah, there's hashing, there's salting, and there's uh, iteration or repetition. 
I think that's it. That's all that's immediately coming to mind. That's pretty much the basics of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So then I, I actually kind of had this realization a little while ago, maybe a year or two ago. I know that Bcrypt uses a different algorithm for hashing. It's not MD5. It's another, you know, whatever, super secure algorithm. Oh, it's Blowfish. Uh, it's one of the Blowfish algorithms. But what I think is sort of the genius thing about Bcrypt, there's a couple of really smart things about it, but the you you run your Bcrypt on the input password when you're like creating the account, and it generates a random salt for you. And uh, it'll do the repetitions of hashing for you. You tell it how many repetitions you want to do. And the output is the encrypted password. Not encrypted. I don't want to use the word encrypted because it's not encryption. You can't decrypt it. But <laughs> So the output is the hashed password. It's a one-way hash. Right. Still a one-way hash. But the output is a has- pa- hashed password. But also, it's, a, it's basically like a delimited string. It, has the, it includes the salt and the number of repetitions of hashing and the final hash all in that same string in a way so that given that value with the the salt, the repetitions, and the hashed string as input, plus the attempted login password, um, it will repeat the same thing and do the comparison so that you know they are uh, the same inputs so that the the, the login was successful, right? And and so what what I guess that buys you is, so if I do use the same password over and over again and you are encrypting it and or hashing it and salting it, mm-hmm. even even though it's the same password, it's not going to be the same hash. So if someone gets a hold of that hash, they can't use it as a known thing because it's it's a randomly iterative generative thing that that's kind of going to be unique to your site. It's not going to match anybody else's. Yes, but that's all true for salting in general, right? If you if you were to do unique salts for every user, then and do it manually, that would be also true in that situation. I guess I'm kind of building up to what make what I think personally makes Bcrypt pretty genius for me. Okay. So it does the salting for you. It does the repetitions for you. You plug in, okay, um, these are the number of repetitions I want to use. Um, and it does all that for you. And then you just pass in like, okay, here's the known password with, and it has the, the salt and the repetitions built in. And here's the value I want to test. Do these, is this the same password? And it just computes the, uses the same algorithm, the, that salt and known repetitions from the previously saved password on the test value, and if they generate the same hash, then they're the same password. That's how you can do a comparison without being able to decrypt it. Oh, that's genius. Okay, now, get this. So one of the awesome things about Bcrypt is because it's got that repetition count built in, the the whole point of repetitions is so that the algorithm can grow with you as hardware gets better, right? So part of the reason that we have to change the algorithms, the hashing algorithms that we're using for these things over time is because the hardware gets better at computing those hashes. And so computing those rainbow tables or whatever becomes easier or just brute forcing trying to crack a password becomes so much easier. So with Bcrypt, you can say, you can just increase the number of repetitions. You can go up by orders of magnitude, right? Just add a couple of zeros on the end. And now all of a sudden it takes a lot longer, a lot more compute power to, uh, to compute that hash keeping it at a reasonable level for a single login, but at an expensive level for somebody that's trying to brute force it. And because of that repetition count is baked into the password as it was saved, when the person, you know, the legitimate user set their password, it can be used to decrypt that. And then when you, when you want to increase your repetition count, the next time that the user logs in, 
you can say, okay, well, they just logged in. This is successful. They were on 50 repetitions and now we're at 5,000 repetitions. So while I have their clear text password here in memory, I'm going to recompute their hash and update the database as well. So now their password is more secure. That's pretty cool. And it's all baked right into the algorithm, except for that part about like recomputing. So it pretty much like just slows down anyone's ability to actually compute over it. So once you're, or to search over it. So once, you know, like you said, because hardware gets better, then now it just becomes slower for them to try to get it. Awesome. Yep. And as, if I don't log into your website for a year and in that year you've increased your password repetition, your hashing repetition a couple of times, I'm still able to log in because my saved password has the number of repetitions as part of that saved password. So it, it doesn't do it too many times and then try to compare and get the wrong hash. Right. So just to put a, a, a finer point of clarity on, on what I think you're saying is that in a single database of users and passwords, you can have individual records actually stored at different hashing strengths. Mm-hmm. And then individual records can be Which evolved Which is not something you would time. choose to do, to be clear. Right, but it, it just it, happens. Because you cannot decrypt the password, because you can mm-hmm. only resave it at a stronger encryption level, stronger hashing level. Mm-hmm. At the it's time so hard you to have, have yeah. Yeah. At the moment you have that clear text password, which is only at the time of login, you can't just update an entire swath of records. You actually have to do it at a particular point in time based on a user action. It's it, it's very cool. Yeah, perfectly put, I think. Yeah, you're right. It is very cool. So, Tim, the thing that you had suggested we talk about um, going no password, I think is kind of similar to this other thing, other point I wanted to make about using a third-party service. Like, when should you reach for it? And when you do, what are the implications of that? Is that, you, would you agree? Uh, no, actually, I, I, we're doing it without a third-party service. Oh, okay. Well, let me hear about that. Okay. So what we're doing for one of our products, it's a new product we're launching. The, the way the process works, it's kind of a one-off. It's not a, a site that you're going to go to often. It's going to be a very transactional sort of site. So rather than having a, a password situation, what we do is we send, we collect their email address and we collect their mobile phone number. If you don't have either of those things, you're not going to be able to use the service. So send me an email. Email says, click this link here. And we know both those items. We know those things. So they click the link. They come in. They have to verify their phone number and enter it. And when they verify their phone number and it matches, then they also they get a text message with the code. And then they verify the code. And hmm. so we never actually have them create a password ever. They just, that is going to always be the login procedure. It's almost like you skip the password and go straight to like the multi-factor yeah. authentication, right? Yeah. So you're like, oh, I'm just going to skip your password. You told me your phone number's right. So just go verify it the other way, which is, you know, like when the authenticator app or with the, the phone number text. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pretty so cool. not super sophisticated, but it, and it does, it is a little longer than someone just remembering a username and a password. But I mean, honestly, people, I think I've gotten a lot more used to checking their email, clicking a link, and then using their phone, right? So So I just signed up for a nomad list 
And that's how their authentication works. Really? So basically, yeah, I just did like the paid account there and I don't have a password and I was like waiting for it to give me my password so I could, you know, <laughs> share my account, you know, with someone who I will be traveling with, I hope, so that we don't have to subscribe to two. So nobody told them we, you know, are going to do that. But um, uh, <laughs> He's going to have to check <laughs> with you every time he logs in for the, hey, what's the, what's the code number? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that's the thing. So now it sends it to me. It's like, hey, and to she, by the way, not a he, but you were close. Uh, so it's one of 50, my best 50, friends. 50, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with me, it's either way. Whatever. Um, so uh, basically, it was like, oh, I never can get a password. It just keeps texting me every time I want to log in. And I was like, I started looking at the profile settings. It's like, oh, they don't do passwords. And yeah. then I started researching it. And I was like, this is interesting. I've never thought about it this way. Yeah. yeah. So kind of I've seen some websites that work similarly, uh, in particular, Egghead which is like a yeah, video tutorial the, thing. Yeah. Their login is very similar. And I, I know of at least one other similar, you know, courseware sort of thing that's actually built on top of Egghead technology. So it's not surprising that it also does the same the thing. Same thing. Yeah. I wonder if it's for the same reason. You I know, bet like it is. We don't want to share accounts. So uh, it makes it a little harder. Well, I to mean, share uh, our, our business reason for doing it. So the, the product is, is sending money to, so you get a claims payment from an insurance company and they're going to send you money. Right. Mm-hmm. And we don't want, and they can send you multiple payments. We don't want someone just getting a hold of your username and password and then ha- redirecting that money away from you to someone else. So, you know, oh, unless unless they have your phone in hand and they have your, you know, they have your email access to your email, um, they're not going to be able to get the money. So. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool. Okay. So then you're right. That wasn't at all like what I had in mind for using SSO or OAuth sort of thing. So I guess so I guess I talked a bunch around uh, password stuff. Somebody else want to talk about uh, third-party login, OAuth, and single sign-on with other services? Shibboleth, if you know it. What, what was that last thing? Yeah, what was the last word you said? You, you've never heard of it. No. Shibboleth? Is that, a, is that, I, I, that? Is that I don't know if that's an exclamation or if that's a service. Like, I don't <laughs> yes, know if you're saying, like, kablamo or, like, <laughs> kablow. No. Shibboleth. No. no. Shib- S-H-I-B-B-O-L-E-T-H. Shibboleth. If you start Googling it, the very first search in mine is Shibboleth, Shibboleth versus mm-hmm. OAuth. It's, it's, yep. a, it's a biblical name, too. Oh. Yeah, it's a um, very, I guess, let's enterprise-y uh, single sign-on system. Now, is it a... Protocol because I think OAuth is more of a protocol, protocol, right? It's not a it's not a service per se, right? Like like Auth Zero or Okta, right? No, I mean it's hmm, I don't know it all that well. Like we've used it, and I have avoided it because it's a pain in the rear end to <laughs> get working and keep working. Um, I have the the feeling that it is a it's like a product and it has its own protocol sort of thing. It works very similarly to OAuth. But it is its own thing. And it, like it, it's a plugin for Apache, and you can, or it doesn't. I think you can use it with like Nginx or something if you really wanted to. But there is a plugin for Apache, and you can say, okay, anything inside this quote unquote directory, right? Like a path in the URL that looks like a directory, um, needs to be secured, and this is the realm for that, uh, that content. So, I, so OAuth and SAML are different, right? So OAuth is a protocol and SAML, does that how you say it right, is another? Correct, S-A-M-L, SAML. Yes. Uh, and I, you know what, now that so you mention it, I think that Shibboleth does uses, use SAML. Yeah, it uses SAML, basically, uh, and it uses Open SAML to actually do their authentication versus hmm. OAuth. Right. Yeah. 
I don't know what we use. I know at work we, we created our own single sign-on service, which I, I guess is okay. I mean, you could use, I mean, if you want to, you could just use Facebook's, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. login or, or, or Google's. Yep. I'm always scared of that because you, you think, well, they're big companies and, you know, they're, they're obviously safer than we are. But, you know, I saw an article and I've, I've, I've posted it in our, our chat here that, you know, Google Suite was storing passwords uh, since in plain text since 2005. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you shared that link. Please tell me it's been corrected. I'm, yeah, it has, it has been corrected. But I mean, yeah, so it's like, yeah, they, they did it. I mean, Twitter had a similar problem. Uh, Facebook had it in the past. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's like you, you can't assume just because someone's a big company that they're going to be doing everything safely. Right. Uh, it, it, you're kind of shifting the, the burden to, to another company. But your, your users don't care if, they, if you know, there's a breach and, and they get hacked you know, using their password. So we, we created our own, which means that, I mean, ours might not be that secure either, but I know we're, I know we're encrypting, hashing it and, and doing all that stuff. We're, we're a smaller target than Google. So if someone wants to get lots of people's info, they're going to go after a Google and a Facebook, not a, a smaller company like us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then, and then when we're not using the single sign on, we do the, the no passwords, which, you know, I, I think is, is pretty secure. I would say it's pretty secure, but it's also an extra level of annoyingness, right? So I don't have my password manager to make it a two-second process to sign in. I have to, like, click the button, go check my email, and get Uh the text, and enter the code. Yeah, yeah. there is a little more friction there. I I do agree. It is a trade-off. Yeah. Speaking of friction, I I have found that one thing that has changed the way that I think about certain passwords is having to log into smart TVs or, or other oh my God. computer devices. Because when I'm on my computer, I'm using one password. I honestly don't even know what oh, most right. of my passwords are because yep. they're just None random 64 mm-hmm. characters of gibberish. Mm-hmm. When I have to use a TV remote, to like <laughs> up, up, down, down, click, over, click. over, yeah. up, up. I'm like, I'm not about to do that 64 times. I um I actually spend way too much time trying to get my phone to connect to the device just so I can put in like something from one password. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas if I would have just sat there with the remote putting in the numbers like in letters, <laughs> I would have been done already. But instead, like I'm 20 minutes in, I'm still trying to like connect my phone to the device so that I don't have to deal with it ever again. Yeah. So for things that have a keyboard. I, I really like, there's a, a scheme for passwords called dice words, which is a, a list. You can look it up online. There's multiple of them, but you just Google dice words and it's lists of words and they have random or not, not random, but sequential numbers next to them. And so what they, the concept is you take a number of dice, I think it's like six dice and you roll them and then you just grab them in a random order. And whatever the number is that, that, that adds, not that that adds up to, but that is so, right. So each one of those is like one through six. You're rolling D6 dice. So if you end up with like six, three, one, three, two, four, whatever, you find words six, three, one, three, two, four, whatever I said. And that's the first word of your password. And you put a dash or space or whatever you want between them. And that gives you sufficiently random words because it's not something you chose. It's something the dice chose. But it's also easy for you to type in and and not so much memorable, but memorable long enough to be able to type it in, right? So like... Uh, what's the xkcd one it's like correct horse tooth bucket or something Mm. there's a staple Um, in there (laughs) oh yeah yeah um anyway uh you know a sequence of words you can remember long enough to type 
You know, you, you look it up once, it sticks in your memory for the 30 seconds that it takes you to type it, and then it's gone. So I really like that system. Mm. And 1Password will generate them. Yeah, I, I first saw that. I had seen the XKCD comic a while back, I mean, a couple of years ago. Uh, but then when we got our local router updated, like Verizon came and gave us a new router, and the That's password, nice you know, is on the bottom of the router, which is funny to me. But mm-hmm. um, they use that sort of scheme. It was like... Uh, you know, train track 39, sunset 52. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty long, but it's really only like six things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, you know, just a years ago, not not that many years ago, just a handful of years ago, the what was considered best practices around security was having things like every password has to have, you know, at least one uppercase character and one lowercase mm-hmm. character and one special character. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the word NIST sticks out in my mind, but I can't remember what NIST stands for. I think it's some sort of National Institute of Security. Science and Technology, I think. Yeah. Are there uh, standards in technology? Let's Google that. We're gonna get we're gonna get corrected on the internet. So, <laughs> so I believe they have come out with a, a a newer recommendation that has nothing to do with random uppercase lowercase characters. It's it's all about length uh, and just having enough characters. To make something easy enough to remember, mm-hmm. if you're not using something like, like one a phrase. password, yeah, yeah. The yep. National Institute of Standards and yep. Technology. Thank you, oh, nailed it, Tim. You're good, 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 good. Yeah. So I will say the one thing that you'll hit though is if you're not careful is that if you have server side requirements. So like if you are, um, you know, putting in this isn't really front facing, but say you're creating your passwords for like Oracle or for SQL and the server config is set to require a special character. Well, then your users on there have to have a special character too, or they're not going to work. So then you do have to you know, sometimes require those special characters in order for them to work. If that user has to be granted access to like tables for things when they're writing from your application. Mm. So. Yep. But that's only if, if you're creating. SQL users using a password to, mm-hmm. right. for the access. If you if yeah. you don't have that problem, then you can do whatever you want. All right. So let's get back to to sort of uh, where we wanted to go with discussing password security here. What are what criteria would you use to decide? Okay, I want to use something other than I don't want to create my own username and password combination. I want to use something else, whether that's OAuth or Shibboleth or um, single sign on or something. Does that word make you laugh? To, uh, it does. Ben? It's a very funny sounding it's word. Really. Shib. Yeah. Shib. That's what we call it at work. Shib. And so for me, uh, I guess where I draw that line is, A, if my user base already has uh, accounts somewhere that, that offers single sign-on using their account system, right? So like, for example, if you're... If you, well, if you are creating a service that integrates with GitHub, then you might as well you offer, at least if not primarily use GitHub as your um, sign-in provider because your user, users already have GitHub and GitHub offers OAuth authentication, oh. right? So then your users don't need any extra accounts. They don't need an extra password, et cetera. They can just use their GitHub login to log into your service. And yes, you can get your, you can get an email address and some information about them through that OAuth uh, integration so that you can email them when there's, you know, important news or whatever. Not going to lie. I didn't fully understand what your question meant when you asked it. Okay. Now it's making more sense. I'm like, okay. Good. Another possibility is when you're working in the Jamstack, which I think we touched on in an earlier Mm -hmm. episode, which is JavaScript. APIs and markup. 
mm-hmm. uh, but essentially boils down at least somewhat broadly to I build a JavaScript app and then I host it somewhere like on a CDN, which I know it's evolving beyond that. But mm-hmm. you might not have a quote unquote user database to even work with right. because you're building a front end that connects to APIs. So you need to offload that user management to another system. Very good point. Um, I, I think a lot of the jam stacky type systems now also come with some sort of user management. I, I think Netlify has user management, Auth0. I'm pretty sure Firebase has their own sort of user management at this oh, point. Oh, sure, yeah. Okay, well then, the last thing on my list that I wanted to talk about under passwords was like, what are red flags that websites are doing it wrong? Oh, when you get it wrong and then yeah, do you ever go to throws an error? Yeah, that shows you what the sequel look like going into it. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's that's a huge red flag about many things. That bad. I guess what I really wanted to go toward though is like maybe by if I give an example, it'll help. When I go to create an account for somebody and it says your password must be between eighteen and twenty four characters oh, long. Oh, I hate that. That tells that me, me that crazy. you are very likely not hashing that password because mm-hmm. if you're hashing it i could write a freaking book in there it wouldn't matter and it wouldn't yeah. matter not gonna care it, it if you require mm-hmm. for me to choose a special character from a list of like your 10 special characters that you've ordained as okay because maybe dollar sign and backslash means that special things to whatever you know however you're getting the data into the database and so it would cause problems like sql injection type stuff that's a deal breaker <laughs> you got a <laughs> And so like on that, like I had played with Wireshark for a while. And whenever you're working with Wireshark and with like Kali Linux, basically you use Hydra Mm -hmm. and the Hydra process basically says, tell me what you know about the password. So it's like, I know that it's one of these four special characters and that Mm -hmm. it has to have a, a lowercase and it has to have one number that basically gives it the ability to say, okay, I know now what I can exclude out of every password I want Mm -hmm. to try basically cracking Mm -hmm. it. So don't set that information because you just basically open up everything when you do. Yeah. Can I just talk about pet peeves though when it comes to websites that with passwords? So it annoys the heck out of me when they have a list of like special characters, but it's not all special characters. Mm -hmm. There's like five special characters that you're allowed to have. Other than that, they're going to stop you Mm -hmm. and they don't make it. They make it a little bit clear, but it's, it's not evident, right? So you type in, you're like, oh, I need a special character, probably. Mm-hmm. Or, or they don't even tell you the rules up front. Oh, my God. So many. Uh, that just annoys me. I just so, keep guessing. Yeah. So I'm just like, enter, yeah, yeah. enter, oh, enter. Yeah. Uh, you need a number. Okay. I had a number. You need a special character. Okay. Add a special character. Uh, you need at least one uppercase. Okay. Add an uppercase. You can't. <laughs> and what drives me nuts is I'm trying to reset my password. Yep. And then I reset it and they say, Oh, you can't use the same password you just used. <laughs> How did they get it wrong in the first place? <laughs> yeah. Or, or my favorite is uh, I created an account. I provide a password. It accepts that. And then I can't log in with the password that I just created. And uh, what I learned and, and what I, 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 specific, I can't remember where I saw this, but what I specifically have seen happen is the requirements on the reset password form are more strict than the requirements then, yeah. on the, the yeah. same password form. Oh. And, yeah. and the impression that I get is like, it's shorter on the reset password. So they like truncated my password when I created or something like that. And I'm just like, mm. I just want to 
reach through the internet and throttle them, like mm-hmm. force choke them. <laughs> well, so I've been burned on max length mm-hmm. uh, attributes on an input because typically, oh. I, again, I'm using one password. So yeah. when I go to sign up for an account, my workflow is yep. create the login in one password, mm-hmm. generate 64 characters, mm-hmm. copy it out of one password, paste it into the sign up form. But it's just, you know, a string of dots or a string right. of ASCII characters. Yeah. So if it got, if, if there's a max length of, let's say, 30 20. characters yeah. on that yeah. field, I'm, I don't notice that because mm-hmm. it's just yeah. a giant string of characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when I go to sign in, maybe they don't have the max length or for whatever reason, maybe the max length is different. Yep. And now it's like the password that I pasted in happens to be different only because the original one was truncated unbeknownst to me. So you need to do Adam's like motion he just did, stick your hand through the screen mm-hmm. and shake someone. <laughs> Force choke. Yeah, that. I'm waiting for that worst. protocol. Those are the worst, and I hate when um, sites disable right clicking on. Um, oh the my field. god! Or disable yeah. pasting. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I'm like, I just need to right click and paste in here. Do you not know I just copied my password from something? So then I spend again with my wasting time. I spend the time re-enabling the, the paste functionality so that I can actually paste it in. F12 developer tools. F12 fix that, huh? I'm like, I will paste this. You will not tell me I can't. It's so annoying. Along with the idea of having to have one number and one uppercase character and one lowercase character, along with that being an outdated idea of password security, I think they have also now outdated the idea of having to rotate your passwords every three months or six months. Because um, I think, again, just as with having to do random stuff, mm-hmm. all that really does is increase the chances that you'll end up writing it down. Yep. Or, yeah. or, or you're creating be, it. Yeah. You're going to go from Adam one to Adam two. Yeah. Because I was saying, most people just iterate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I had one other like insanely frustrating red flag that I was thinking of when I came up with this list, which was when I do like forgot my password and I get an email that has my password in it. Oh my God. Means they're not hashing it. They're not hashing it. Got it. Yeah. If you're if you're storing that that the uh, the password phrase and they hack that, they have all they they're going to get your password. Yeah. Not to mention sending emails is not secure. So now you've just sent my password in plain text across the internet. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, it drives me nuts. I just put a link in the show notes to um, an article I'd read the other day at work, and it was um, the basically the guidelines that you know Ben was talking about. Yeah, it was just some of the, oh, nice. the NIST guidelines. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I mean, a long phrase that you can remember is much better than something that computers are good at, but humans aren't. It's a yeah. human. It's a passwords are a human problem. They're not a computer problem. Yep. The the XKCD comic that we were referencing earlier is basically the whole point of that is like we've spent years now training people to create passwords that are easy for computers to uh, brute force and difficult yep. for people yeah. to remember. Exactly. Yes. yes. Like, yep. yep. The exact opposite of what we should have been doing. And the so the to be clear, the better practice is to encourage length. Yeah. Period. That's yep. it. Mm-hmm. Like that's minimum thirty said. characters. If that's <laughs> your if that's your strength uh, requirement for your for your passwords. That is a good place to start. Yep. Have you ever put an emoji into a password? All the time. Oh, really? So yeah. I haven't done it. But I when I was when I was learning about um, all the JWT tokens and was kind of going through that, I read a post about like how you actually handle emojis, and I was like, I didn't know it would actually work. That's pretty actually, cool. It does. Yeah. I haven't. I haven't even thought about that. So every year for 
work, we try not not every year, but you know, often we try to come up with an April Fool's prank for our products. And one that's on my list to to maybe do someday is to uh, ask people like to post an announcement in the app asking people to update their passwords. You know, it's been a long time. Maybe you should update your password and suggesting that they use um, all emojis as their password (laughs) for security. Which which works great on a mobile phone, but not so much on a keyboard, does it? Good luck pasting uh, on a that Mac, back it's in. easy. Or, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they're just on the Control, top of your Command, keyboard. Space yeah. will bring up a, an emoji selector. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't Windows have that? Because Windows sucks. Windows is Windows. Uh, come on. I just, they pop up on my little, what is the bar on top of my keyboard called that's like digital? The touch bar. Yeah, the touch bar. They just pop up on there sometimes. I'm like, oh, there's emojis. <laughs> and, and they're just saying hi yeah i think adam had put something in our chat the other day that was some sort of um like global th- yeah something you install called rocket yeah i like it a lot i paid for it what's it called what it's is called it? Sorry. rocket it's a it's a, basically an emoji selector so you can it, it watches everywhere that you're typing across the entire system and you can tell it okay don't pay attention in this app and this app that's right like slack and discord have their own emoji selectors yeah. that are fine so don't pay attention in there, but everywhere else or wherever you specify, it can watch whatever you're typing. And then you have a trigger character, which for me is plus. So I type plus and then I start typing the name of an emoji, smile oh, or rocket yeah. or fire yeah. poop or whatever. And it shows me like a, it, it, as I'm typing, it's auto uh, like type ahead searching mm-hmm. for the ones that match. And then I can just hit up and down to select from the list, hit enter, and it replaces the text that I was typing with that emoji. Nice. And you can set your, if you pay for the pro version, you can set your own aliases and you can set uh, whatever, like text expander type stuff to to replace specific keywords with your favorite gifts or whatever. That's pretty cool. Cool. So I think that should probably do it for passwords. We gotta, you know, we're coming up on time. We gotta go record the after show. So any final closing thoughts on passwords? I think uh, one thought that I would have just as a closing thought is that I, a lot of times on podcasts I will hear people talk about password management as this terrifying third rail and. I would mm. never want to build my own password system. I should always just outsource it to some identity provider like Auth0 or Okta or Shibu. But I think, you know, if, if all you're going to do is provide very basic logins, email and password, username and password, and you use a hashing algorithm with sufficient work factor and salting, like, that's pretty good. I don't think yeah. people should be afraid to have passwords stored in their system. No. Yeah, just don't store them in plain text. Yeah, just don't store them in plain text. And make sure you are not vulnerable to SQL injections. Mm-hmm. Let's do both. Yeah. Also, one thing that completely changed my life is when someone taught me that one password can actually set up time-based one-time tokens. So uh-huh. something yeah. you might usually use a, an authentication app for. Uh, you can just have that set up in one password. And uh, the reason that that's been so revolutionary for me is I used to use, it was like Google Authenticator or something mm-hmm. on my phone. Authy, yeah. But when you upgrade your phone and you, even if you restore from like a complete backup, it will not bring over your one-time password configurations. Yep. <clears throat> Authy does just, that though. Yeah, Authy gives you a QR code, right? You got to scan from your oh, old nice. device. I think. So you sign into Authy and it saves your tokens in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
one of the really nice things with that is if you have, if you're the type of person and I am that has multiple devices, then you can look them up on multiple devices. Yeah. If you go back to like Google Authenticator, you can only have that active on one, one. device yeah. when yeah. you, oh, interesting. if you were to like scan the QR code to set it up as a token generator on your phone, then on your tablet, it like invalidates it. Also, it like backs that up. When, and so when you sign in to that account on your new device or when you store from, you know, new OS or whatever, mm-hmm. then it, they're all still there. And Authy has a nice desktop app. so the problem the problem with one passwords uh uh mfa is that whenever i have it running on the uh like my chrome extension i'm pointing to the top of my screen Mm -hmm. so everyone (laughs) listening can know what i'm doing Um, whenever i have it running in my chrome extension and i have it running on my phone they don't stay in sync right so i go and type in the code from my um chrome extension and it won't work i have to open my phone and get mm. the code from there. So I stopped using the one password um, code generator because I couldn't keep them in sync. I was like, never mind. This is too much of a headache. And I went back to Authy for everything. As Authy from Twilio? Yeah. I don't know who made it. Some, I'm trying to Google it. How do you spell it? A-U-T-H-Y. Dot com? I don't know. It's an app. Yeah, it's by Twilio. It it's just Twilio. popped up. Yeah. I got it very quickly on the um, cool. home screen. Yeah, we'll, yep. we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Oh, cool. I have one more thing for the show notes. Um, oh, so there's a project called OWASP, which is the, I think it stands for Open wait, Web Application open web Security Project. OWASP Top 10. Yeah. Yep. They have a password cheat sheet. And earlier in the show, Adam had mentioned the number of iterations and the salt that you can have. Mm-hmm. Um, they have in their cheat sheet, essentially, current recommendations for the work factor that goes into the various algorithms. So if you're wondering how many iterations should I have in Bcrypt, they have a recommendation for what you should use with today's hardware. Nice. Um, as, as they do for other hashing algorithms. Like Aragon, Argon, 2ID. And script. And then there's one that's just like a bunch of letters. BBKDF2. Something like that. <laughs> Welcome I'll, to the Random Characters podcast. Right, I, I love I, I love how these uh, encryption guys have to name everything like really cryptically. Okay, moving on. So, listen. With that note, I have something important I want to tell you. This podcast oh. is made possible by listeners like you. I'm going to keep this pitch short and sweet this week. You're smart people. You know how this works. We could really use your support. And so, if that's something that you're interested in, you can find us at Patreon.com/slash/WorkingCodePod. We do have a new patron this week. So, David, welcome to the team. Happy to have you. Yeah. Uh, we have a top tier on Patreon, and we have two top patrons right now. So, a special thank you goes out to Peter and to Monty. Woo-woo. To everyone out there that just listens but isn't a patron, thank you for listening. It would help us out if you told your friends and coworkers to listen to the show. You can tell the algorithms to boost our signal by leaving us a review and a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We love getting your feedback and questions, and you can send those to us on Twitter or Instagram at WorkingCodePod, or you can leave a, us a message at 512-253-2633. That's 512-253-CODE. We'll catch you next week, and until then, your heart really matters. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code. So there apparently is a soccer um, podcast. I need to get the link again from my coworker. She did their intro and outro.
The same woman? Yeah. He oh, was cool. like, where did you hire your person from? Because I swear she did like the same one for this other podcast. I was like, ooh. Nice. So I listened. I was like, she did, huh? I was like, I like her voice. Yeah. 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 She did a good job. 